0: you for joining me today we are going to be talking about integrity in vaccine messaging in your organization this is actually a two-part segment so in part one of this segment i'm going to be providing some context we're going to talk about in the united states president biden's recent announcement of some vaccine mandates we're also going to be talking about the general context in the United States about vaccines and how that may be impacting your workforce. And then I'm going to go over a number of different points that people in your workforce might be thinking about that could be impacting their decision making process. So we're going to cover all of that in part one, so that you as the business leader have that as the foundation for how you will build the messaging that may be most powerful for your workplace. And then I want you to also join me in the next podcast for part two, because in part two, what we will cover are the five strategies that I'm going to suggest for you as a business leader to do the messaging to your organization about the vaccine mandates of the president and how that applies to your business. In addition to those five strategies I'm gonna recommend in part two, I'm also going to recommend and show you how this fits in with a biblical perspective and what the Bible says about issues similar to what we're talking about in both of these segments. So both of these segments go together. They're not really standalone. So you wanna make sure that you listen to both part one and part two. So thanks for joining me, and we'll head right into part one now. Recently, US President Biden announced a mandate for all military and all federal government employees to receive the vaccine against the coronavirus. And this is a vaccine mandate. In addition, he also mandated that all contractors to the military, and also to the federal government, also be required to receive the vaccines against COVID-19. In addition, the president's mandate included businesses, private businesses, that have more than 100 people. And the rule there was that personnel in those companies would either be vaccinated or the unvaccinated employees would receive weekly testing because of being unvaccinated. What wasn't clear about those who are unvaccinated is who would pay for these weekly tests, where they would get the weekly tests done, or even if the United States has capacity to accommodate that many people getting weekly tests. There is some talk that take-home or at-home kits would become available that people could use to do their own vaccine test and bring those into work so that they could prove that they're still testing negative for the virus at that time. Currently, most of the testing is done at hospital facilities or other medical facilities, and we already know that such facilities are inundated, treating cases that are already positive for the COVID virus. So those details will have to be worked out. And those companies that choose not to comply with these mandates, they face for each incident that occurs about $14,000 in fines for failure to do has been mandated. A lot of smaller businesses really cannot afford a $14,000 per incident fine for failure to comply. So those are very heavy, heavy sanctions against businesses that may already be struggling in the marketplace for other reasons. And all of these mandates actually come on the heels or the back end of the FDA in the United States giving approval for the Pfizer version of the vaccines. So today, what I want to talk about is what's gonna be important to you as a business leader Things to keep in mind as you do your own messaging in your company, in your organization, to your people as they interpret and as you interpret the meaning of the presidential mandates, what applies to your company. And and pretty much almost all of my clients meet the criteria of having more than 100 people because mostly I'm working with larger businesses. And there are maybe one or two that are either very close to the cusp or the edge of that and who may not exactly be over 100. But for the most part, most of the companies I work with do have significantly more than 100 people. And so these mandates do apply to them. So I just want you to think about as a business leader what you want to keep in mind and how you can message in a way that feels in integrity with who you are and with who your company is. Because I will be covering some information that could appear to be or seem to be medical advice i want to put out a disclaimer right away i am not a medical doctor i have a phd in clinical psychology and the information that i'm sharing today is not intended to be medical advice at all rather i would recommend that for your individual circumstances and situation that you consult your medical professionals about what's best for you to do in our current climate where the virus is still prevalent. So with that said, let me also just mention the context, at least that we're in in the United States. And by the way, if you're listening from another country, and I know that I do have listeners from across the globe, even if what I'm talking about today is not happening in your country, there are some lessons in here that are also important for you to think about where you are because of things that may come down the pike in your organization. And you also can think in terms of prevention and what you could do differently that would make a difference in the country where you may live at the time. In the United States, there is a context that I would like to mention. And that context is that there is not a universal acceptance in the United States about the long-term safety or the long-term efficacy of the vaccines against the coronavirus. And there has been, through no fault of anyone really, just because the vaccines are new, there's insufficient time so far to evaluate these treatments and how effective they are long-term or even what the unforeseen side effects or consequences of them may be long-term. And keep in mind that technically, these treatments are not really vaccines. They do not meet the criteria for being called vaccines, even though our country is choosing to refer to them as vaccines. When you think about science and how vaccines are created, they are not created with the same mechanism by which these treatments have been created. Now, what's challenging about that and problematic is that A true vaccine, at least in the United States, does provide some protection for the consumer in case there are adverse effects. In the case of something that is not truly a vaccine, the American public does not have quite the same level of protection from adverse outcomes. And so using the term vaccine is a bit of a misnomer and can be misleading since in fact it's not a vaccine, nor will it carry the same benefits that other vaccines have carried in the past. And so because we are largely in an experimental phase, in spite of some approvals that have come through, there are a lot of unanswered questions And we won't even know the answer sometimes until years later when we see what the long-term impacts are. So that's the context in the United States and why there may not be universal acceptance about the treatment protocols that are currently being promoted. I also want to talk about some things that may be of concern to people in your organization and what some may be thinking about or what they might have heard or might be considering. So although there's certainly some evidence that for the short term, that vaccinated people are less likely to die from the virus, if they're vaccinated, they're less likely to get ill. And if they do get ill, they're less likely to have a very serious illness. Now, in general, the evidence seems to suggest that that's probably true. Nevertheless, vaccinated people are still getting ill. Some of the vaccinated people are also dying. And even though the numbers have been announced as relatively small, that may vary according to community. I know just from my personal situation, if I think about friends and family that I have, a number of people have died, both vaccinated and unvaccinated in communities of color. And so there could be some differential impacts that haven't even been sorted out yet. And I'm not saying that there are. I'm simply saying there could be. And I'm saying that your people might perceive that there are if in their personal lives, they're having a different experience than what the government statistics may be saying. So that's one thing that can be going on. Secondly, there are some inconsistencies with how the number of unvaccinated people are being counted. So, for example, there are a number of people who have received one shot of a vaccine, and those who've received the one shot, they are considered not fully vaccinated, and they've been included in the category of the unvaccinated. Now, I am, as I said, a PhD, not an MD. And as a PhD, I am a scientist. I'm very familiar with scientific protocols. And one of the things I know is that we probably should not include one-shot cases in the same category as totally unvaccinated people because that's confounding the category of the unvaccinated and there may be some effects from that one-shot which might be why people didn't take the second shot, that may lead to some of the outcomes that those who had the one shot experiencing. And so the narrative that's promoted publicly says the unvaccinated are having X, Y, Z experience or result, when in fact, that group has been confounded by some people who may have had one shot And that one shot may have caused them some side effects or some difficulties that are vaccine related. So I would say that given that all of this is new and from a scientific perspective, there's been insufficient collection of data about the negative impact of the vaccines themselves. And how is it then that some may have died from just the vaccines, not even the virus, or they may have developed some unusual conditions months later or even died later, but there's no correlation to the vaccine. Since it didn't happen immediately, it wasn't within two weeks, it might not have even been within a month, but it could be a long-term impact of the vaccine, what we see happening to some people in some communities. And so some people are aware of that and they're asking questions and they may be wondering, well, why is, my close friend or relative coming down with X condition, or why are they dying at this time? And because the person may be older or because they may have some other comorbidities or other illnesses, then the narrative might be, oh, it's because of those conditions that the person is dying or because of their age, when in fact that might not be true at all. So when you collect data and you separated into the right categories, it makes it easier to come up with the right conclusions. If you don't collect the right data, or enough of it, or segment it properly, then the conclusions that you come up with may not be correct. So that's also going on right now. There's also some lack of clarity about the effectiveness of the vaccines against the Delta variant and against other new strains and variants of the COVID-19 virus. And some of these new strains are far more lethal, far more contagious, and far more difficult to treat or impact than the original version of COVID-19 that we faced at the beginning of 2020. And so since there's some lack of clarity about the efficacy of this treatment beyond an eight-month period, then there's a question mark about whether people should get booster shots or not. And in the United States, a decision was made where the FDA did not approve wholesale third shots or booster shots for people other than those who may be in advanced age or particularly in high-risk categories, but not as a mandate or not as an expectation for the entire US population. And again, I think that the risk involved and some of the challenges and unanswered questions are such that the FDA did not yet lend its approval for those additional booster shots across the board. Another issue I would bring up and mention is that whenever you're dealing with medications, whether new medications or old ones, there is the whole notion of informed consent. And even as a psychologist, if I conduct experiments that involve human participants that are non-invasive, because we don't do medical experiments or things of that sort, I have to explain to all of the participants in my study what some of the negative impacts could be of them participating in the study. I have to explain all of the potential risks. And they have to sign a form that says, I've explained all of those risks. In other words, they're participating with informed consent about the possible side effects and difficulties of participating in the psychological experiment. So when we think about medicine, there are even greater necessities for informed consent. So you will see when you get a medicine, there's a a leaflet that you read that talks about what is some of the potential short-term and long-term effects of taking this medication, What are some of the risk factors? What are the dangers you hear on television when you watch commercials and they'll say, oh, take this if you're having a sleepless night. But then they also say, and here are some of the side effects that could occur if you take this medication. And sometimes the side effects can be worse than just coping with the sleepless night. And yet you might choose to take the medication because you might say to yourself, my sleepless night, Is causing so much harm to me right now that I am willing to shoulder or bear the risk that have been explained to me about the sleep medication, and I'm willing to absorb that risk. So I think for the American people there is the issue of informed consent, and in order to be informed, you have to be told what's in the medication, what are the ingredients, and what are those risk factors, and Generally speaking, we have not had that kind of information be largely available, even though with respect to the vaccines, it's been said, if you are allergic to any of these ingredients, then don't take it. However, it's been challenging to figure out, well, exactly what are those ingredients? The average person is not made aware of what those ingredients are before they receive an injection. So they are not in a position to truly make informed consent in the way that I would talk about it. Generally speaking, no matter what the medical condition is that you might have, even garden variety things like high blood pressure or whatever, there typically is not any one medication that is efficacious or appropriate for every person. There are a variety of medications that one could use and your doctor decides which one is best for you given the other conditions that you have, given your health status and many other variables that have to be considered simultaneously, taken into consideration, and then a medicine is prescribed in your case. It may be that you get medicine A for your high blood pressure and your spouse might get medicine B for their high blood pressure because the risk factors would be different between the two of you. So we have a situation here with the vaccines where there may not be the due diligence that may be necessary to find out if this is safe and appropriate for each individual person, given what their circumstances may be. So even though in the United States, the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, has approved the Pfizer version of the vaccine, it had to be done quickly. And what the FDA has said is that even though it was done quickly, they believe they've done a thorough job of going through their normal protocols. And I would submit to you that some people might disagree with that because some things can only be determined after a period of time and you get to see what happens over time. We also have a situation where two key FDA personnel resigned because they did not believe that the proper protocols were being followed and how these approvals were being done. So your workforce your people in your workplace may be thinking about and considering all of those kinds of variables. Also, when it comes down to what's happening to people who are getting sick, there are some narratives that have been promoted in the news in the United States. And I would submit to you that there may be some alternative narratives besides the popular narratives that are important to also keep in mind. For example, one of the popular narratives has been that it's the unvaccinated that are causing problems for the vaccinated people. And keep in mind that if the vaccine is really working for the vaccinated, the vaccinated do have some degree of protection against the virus. So even when they are exposed to it, more times than not, they should have less of an impact than the unvaccinated might have. On the other hand, the unvaccinated might be highly at risk from the vaccinated because the vaccinated person can be a carrier of the virus. They can be positive for the virus, have the ability to transmit it to other people, even though they themselves, because of the protection of the vaccine, they are not sick and they're not having any symptoms. So it could really be that it's the vaccinated people who are infecting the unvaccinated. And this is different from 2020, because in 2020, when people did not have the vaccine to take, When you got sick, and there are exceptions to this, and some that I know personally, people who actually were positive for the virus never had symptoms, but they infected other people who were made ill. However, in 2020, the majority of the people, if you were infected, you did have some symptoms, you knew you were sick, you knew to quarantine, you knew to stay home, and you knew to stay away from people. In our current climate, since we have stopped mask mandates and many people have stopped social distancing, and people are now meeting together in crowds and so on and so forth, it is possible that the vaccinated could be causing risk and harm to the unvaccinated. So well, all I'm saying is I'm not saying that that is how it is. I'm just simply saying it's an alternative narrative that could be true, given the evidence that we do have, because we're learning things and new things every day. I also think that when you have a major health crisis in a country and something that's lethal and killing people, it's useful not to just have a one solution, such as a vaccine, but to actually have all kinds of scientists studying more broadly and more widely what could help on several fronts. Number one, what about prevention? And also what about early treatment? And a lot of times people are told not to come in until they have more advanced symptoms, when if they were treated earlier, they may have not been a fatality, perhaps they would have recovered from their illness. So that's one piece. And if you were building up your immune system in some other ways, you also might potentially have prevented yourself from getting the virus as well. We have in the United States anyway, paid less attention to prevention, less attention to early intervention and treatment. And that may be at our own peril. Then even on the treatment end, let's say you've done everything you could possibly do. Now you're sick and and now you've got to look at treatment. We haven't really resourced those people who might look at alternative treatments to think about what else could be helpful and what else could be useful. And so I think that, again, going back to the notion that one medicine usually is not effective for everyone, we've made it difficult for some people to even make a decision in favor of the vaccine because they may not be a good candidate for it and may need alternative treatments. So as a country, we probably should invest some time and some money in what those alternatives may be. So I mentioned all of this context Because you as a business leader need to understand that context and what some of your personnel in the workplace might be thinking about. And this then influences the way that you choose to message to your company and your personnel. So today, remember, we've been covering part one of a two-part process in a two-part series. Today, I've given you some information about what U.S. President Biden has said in the vaccine mandate, I've talked a little bit about the context that we're living in with the virus right now, particularly in the United States, and also mentioned numerous points that may be affecting your workforce. In addition to all of those points affecting your workforce, there's also a lot of misinformation out there false narratives that are abounding as well. And so many of your people are confused because of all of those false narratives. So I want to end part one of this segment just reminding us about the importance of the truth. And before I conclude with a a relevant verse that relates to that, I want to remind you to listen in to part two of today's message and in part two, the next time, we'll get very practical about what you as the business leader can do. Five strategies, ways to message and integrity. We'll talk about that. And we'll do a deeper biblical context also around these kinds of matters and issues. So as we close out today, I just want to reference John, the eighth chapter and verse 32. And Jesus is reminding people as he's speaking and he's talking and he says, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. You've been listening to The Voice of Leadership with me, Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks.